Hey, deserving listeners, with all the COVID-19 stuff, I know a lot of you clinicians out there have a lot of questions. And so I did an episode yesterday in which we covered a lot of the ethics and legal stuff with Francis Shopik, uh, Shopik and, and Tiffany Chuom. And I thought I would do a follow-up episode in which I just kind of rambled about some of the things that I'm telling my supervisees to do and what I'm trying to do myself. So let's get to it. So some additional considerations that I'm telling my supervisees, in addition to what Francis and Tiffany were saying earlier, is to, and they kind of mentioned this actually when they were talking, is to, in order to, so when you're in person as a therapist and you're in an office, then you get the benefit of the full 3D you know, toes-to-head communication of someone. We all know there's lots of nonverbal communication, and it's not just verbal. And so uh, we shouldn't discount the loss of communication when we only see someone from the shoulders up, when we don't get the full benefit of the three dimensions of someone. And so... Part of what can happen is, well, and another factor that I think happens is when you're on video conference or phone, people, clients, and maybe even you as a therapist might think of the situation as more business-like because we're used to uh, video conferencing and phone meetings as being more business-like, whereas our office for our clients can sometimes feel more like an emotional space if that's what it is used for. And so you might have to, as a therapist, establish clearly that the video conference and phone meetings are another place for vulnerability to happen. And this can be done in a lot of ways. There's, you know, therapy is a very complicated thing. There's a lot of ways to communicate things. But just one suggestion would be to check in more regarding emotions. Just saying, so, you know, I know we're over video conference. It's, it might be a little harder for me to really pick up on your emotional state. How are you feeling right now? Now, in your office, you're obviously going to ask that question too, but in your office, it might be easier for you to detect when you should ask the question, or you might even be able to just detect their emotional state without asking the question at all. So there's that suggestion. The other thing is a, a massive element of outcomes in therapy is the relationship, as you know, meaning that the client feels connected to you, the client feels safe, the, the client feels understood, you are attuned to their feelings, you have proper attachment, you show empathy, you show unconditional positive regard. And over phone in particular, but also video, it can be harder to communicate that you have empathy and that you have unconditional positive regard for the client. Now, this is hard to describe even in person, right? It's like, how do I tell you how to convey empathy to people? Well, over video and over phone, I have found just for me, and I, when I talk to my supervisees, I tell them, look, you might have a different style in general about how to communicate empathy. This is just for me. You know, I just say this to kind of get the ball rolling for them, and then we discuss it. But for me, I find that over video conferencing, I have to almost exaggerate my facial expressions. I have to exaggerate my head nodding. I might have to exaggerate my hand movements, and I try to get my hand movements into the, into the camera because if I just move my hands off screen, which is probably more natural, then I'm not really communicating what I'm fully trying to communicate. And this might feel weird, but it is necessary to do if you're really trying to get your empathy across to someone. Now, you know, maybe you're really good at conveying empathy for a client, regardless of uh, doing these sorts of things. But if you've ever done a video conference before, a very common scenario is people are just sitting still. They almost look like they're not moving at all. Like if you're, if you've ever done a, a video conference at work most people are just kind of staring at the screen, right? And they're not moving at all. And it almost looks like the, it's, the video has frozen. In fact, not a while back, uh, not, not long ago, when I was teaching a class, a student started to you know, share something. And then all of a sudden she said, wait, is everyone frozen? <laughs> because we were all listening intently and sitting still, and she thought her computer had froze. And 
when you're in person, obviously you don't think the world freezes. So there's something about that two-dimensional space that it just makes things look really dead and static. So how do you convey your emotional state as a therapist to your clients? How do you pick up on their emotional state? It's it's a very complicated thing, and I, again, I think it's exaggerating. An analogy to this is, you remember when texting first came out, if you're old enough, and at first we just text our, texted our words or emails between friends, and there were misunderstandings. People didn't understand when you were being sarcastic. People didn't understand when you were trying to be polite, you know, and there'd be a lot of hurt relationships and some relationships ended over misunderstandings over text and email. Well, then we started to introduce emojis. And I remember when these first were introduced and I welcomed them partially because I'm Asian and it's just sort of an Asian thing, but also because I was like, thank God we have a way to convey emotion because over uh, text, like, like if you were trying to say to someone um, a joke, you know, like, um, oh boy, there you go again, you know, spouting shit out of your mouth. And in person, you're going to have an inflection, right? That will convey you're being sarcastic and you're being playful. Well, if you just type that out, it's, it's hard to know that someone's being sarcastic because the sarcasm is all in the tone, right? If I said to you, I think that you are a terrible person and I don't like you. So that's non-sarcastic. If I said, well, I think you're a terrible person and I don't like you. you know, it's <laughs> so I, I welcomed emojis, but you know, a lot of people were real snobbish about emojis. Oh, emojis. It's, you know, 13 year old girl shit and it needs to go away. But I was like, no, 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 this, these emojis are going to save our lives. And lo and behold, you see a lot of people using emojis now. Now there's still, you know, context where People use too many emojis, um, too many hashtags for that matter, uh, for my taste. And it gets a little silly, but a little smiley face at the end of a line, even at work, I'll just throw in a little smiley face just to, just to brighten the mood, just to make sure, you know, because if I was in person, I would have smiled in person or I would have had a little warmth or a little uh, wink of the eye, if you will. <laughs> and so uh, in the same way, when we switch from in-person therapy to video conferencing a phone, you and particularly video conferencing, I think, you have to uh, exaggerate things that might seem a little silly, but actually are, are really quite necessary to communicate what you're trying to communicate. I have been doing a lot of video conferencing over the past month, and I have found that I'm being very demonstrative and exaggeratory over <laughs> over um, Zoom now in a way that I wasn't before, and I and I think that it's it's helping me to communicate what I'm trying to communicate. Now, phone is a whole different beast, right? Because there's no visual at all, and I've been doing phone sessions for 20 years, and I feel pretty comfortable. It's a totally different vibe of therapy, in that. Uh, a lot of times the client will just kind of be staring out the window or staring at the ceiling. You know, a client could be laying in bed talking to you on the phone in session. And it harkens back to old school classic psychoanalysis where the patient would lay on the chaise lounge and stare at the ceiling while the psychoanalyst uh, looked at their notepad and was out of their eyesight, out of their eyeline. And the client was free to talk to you, but also kind of without any distraction. Um, and, and a different sort of material can be produced with that, uh, with phone sessions, I have found. And you can capitalize on that a little bit uh, using your own instincts. And so don't, don't think of phone sessions as just like another, as to, don't think of a phone session as very similar to a session in your office. The other thing to think about is your clients are often at home when you're doing these video conferencing and these and these uh, phone sessions, and they're going to feel different, right? They're they're probably going to be more comfortable. I'm imagining. I don't know. Maybe maybe they're not used to emoting in their home because their home is not safe for them or something. You know. So you just have to think about all those things as well. I could go on and on about that, but let's just move on. The other opportunity that you're given when you're doing video conferencing is you can see their home for the first time. You could see where they live. They could pick up their laptop or their phone and walk you around the house and show you their house. They could 
um, you know, give you an idea of, of what their life is like. As someone who did a lot of in-home therapy in the beginning of my career, I can tell you that's very helpful. At the very least, it gives you a chance to uh, be more integrative into a client's life. You know, they might really just want you to to know more about them and, and doing this in-home stuff can, can really help a client feel like, okay, my client, my therapist really knows me. My, I'm sharing, it's like show and tell, but it also can be good for assessment. If a house is chaotic or if the house is not, if the house is very dark, if it's very well lit, of course, you don't want to read too much into that, but you know, it gives you just a general sense of who the person is and where the person is coming from. Now, getting into some technical things, it's extremely important that your connectivity to the internet is very good because one, if it's really bad and in the middle of a session, you just lose connection with your client, that is not going to be good, particularly with clients that are going to struggle with anxiety from being abandoned. So you need to make sure as a therapist that you have very good connectivity. Now, there are various levels of technical know-how out there, right? There are many therapists who are, you know, 75, 85 years old and barely understand how their modem works. So if you're going to do online therapy rather than, because if you're doing phone, then that's different, right? It's a similar issue with phone. You want to make sure you have a good connection to the cell tower. But if you're doing internet based uh, video conferencing or audio, you really have to make sure that your connection is good. For example, my work computer and my webcam, it's, it's connected to my desktop compute, computer, which is a very fast computer, and that desktop computer is directly connected to the Internet. There's, I'm not using Wi-Fi, for example. And even if I was using, using Wi-Fi, I have extremely fast Wi-Fi very close to the modem, to the router, that I can use with my laptop. So y- you are responsible for that. And you can't just be like, well, I don't really get it, and you know, I don't really understand. No, if it, and especially if you're ever on these sorts of platforms, and of course, if you did, you wanted to use these platforms with your clients, you should test it thoroughly with at least you know three or four friends or something before you use it with your clients, so you can get to know. And if you find any drop, if you set, you know, if if any of your uh, connection is a problem. Um, then you got to figure out something fast or switch to regular phone. I have been, like I said, doing a lot of Zoom meetings lately with uh, my fellow professors at the university or with clients or supervisees or podcasting. And I would say about 10% of the people I've talked to in the past month have terrible connections to the internet. And pretty much like every time they try to talk, uh, significant portions of their of what they're saying will, will be um, lost due to the fact that they have a terrible connection. Some people will even just, it'll just drop them entirely or the video will freeze or something. And that's all just due to the fact that you have, you have bad bandwidth. And a lot of, I hear a lot of therapists saying like, oh, this must be a problem with the, with the video conferencing software because too many people are using it. No, that's not the problem. I mean, Maybe that's a slight problem, but I can tell you my connection is never a problem. And the people that I've been talking with a lot that I know also have good connections, they never have any connectivity problems either. It's because if you're having trouble with your connection to these video conferencing, it's because your computer is too slow. There's something wrong with your computer. You don't have a a fast enough, uh, you know, your your connection to your to the internet is is compromised. You know, a good a good way to do this is just to go to Google and do a speed test. Now some of you obviously know this very well, but if you don't know this, just type in speed test into Google and then Google actually has its own speed test and then there there's this thing that says run speed test. You click on that. So right now I have my I have uh, looks like 580 megabits per second, 580 megabits per second, 585 actually to be specific, and about 20 or 17 megabits down upload. So my download is 585, and my uh, upload is 17. Now that's pretty fast because I I pay for fast internet. Some of you have faster, particularly people in other countries, honestly, but. I know people who have like one 
or two mega uh, mega not megapixels. What was I saying? <laughs> um, anyway, what does MPS stand for? Uh, MP. Uh, anyway, um, mega bod. I just remember there's a lot of bods back in the day. <laughs> anyway. Um, so I know people that will have 0.5 Mbps. Um, it's something per second, right? Megabod. Is that what it is? Okay. I'll just look it up because that's embarrassing. Mbps. What does it stand for? <laughs> um, Mbps means megabits per second. Oh, okay. I w- was I, did is that what I said? Okay. This is embarrassing. Okay. Megabits per second. Did I say that originally? What, where did I get up in my head about that? Anyway, I know some people who have half a megabit per second download. And that works fine for email and for Facebook for the most part. There'll be a little bit of a lag sometimes. But, you know, you won't really notice it. You need a lot of speed to do video conferencing. I don't know exactly what the threshold is. I'm guessing at least 50 would be probably the, the lower end. Um, so do that test. And if you have a problem... Uh, you know, that's on you. You got to make sure that you address that. Don't just, you know, uh, think like, well, you know, connections are bad sometimes. It's like, no, connections are not bad sometimes. Connections, well, they are bad sometimes, and it's your fault that they're bad. <laughs> um, and again, like I said, if you, if you have sessions where you as a therapist dropping out, the other thing is, that you need to coach your clients to make sure they have a good connection, which means that you might have to uh, have a pre-conversation about like um, test your test your internet speed from where you typically are video conferencing from, because if they're really far away from their router or they're using some uh, router, they're using some Wi-Fi from a restaurant nearby or something, uh, then if they cut out. That could be a problem, too. If you've ever been a part of a conversation where half the time conversations, you know, sentences are being cut off because of the connection, it's extremely frustrating. And you might as well not even have the session at that point, in my opinion. And so you might have to actually help your clients understand how to have a better connection. Uh, In general, if you have a direct connection to your router, it's better, right? An actual Ethernet cable from your router directly to your computer in general, that will be a faster connection, Uh, but not always. And not everyone even has a modem anyway. So another thing here to think about, and this is something I almost never hear people talking about, is you got to make sure that your picture from both the client and the therapist is good enough. If you are as a therapist and, you know, typically what therapists will do is they'll go into their office, right? Well, your office might be really low lit Another, and, and that's not good. You need to have well, you have to have, you need, your face needs to be well lit. Now, typically what this means is, you know, a well lit window will, will, will help. Or if that's not, if you can't do that or it's nighttime, you might have to get a really, really bright light and bring it into your office and point it straight at your face. Now, that might seem really silly, but if you, I've seen people in video conferencing conditions before where it's so dark, I can barely see any facial expressions. And again, you know, that's not good. You also need to make sure the client is well lit because you need to be able to pick up. So you might have to spend, especially, you know, if you're going to do, it's possible that we're going to be doing video conferencing teletherapy for the next four months. Uh, you know, people are talking about less like, well, it'll blow over in a couple of weeks. Uh, I don't think so. There Now, maybe it will. Hopefully it will. But there's a chance that we're going to be in this situation until July or August. Um, I think I talked about this in another episode, but I heard an expert say that the, the peak of the uh, cases in the United States is ahead of us. It's like one or two months ahead of us. So if the peak is, you know, 45 days ahead of us, then that means it's going to take another 45 days to have it come down to where we are now. And we're quarantining now. And then it would be, you know, maybe another 30 days after that until we're in the clear where there's so few cases that we're okay to return to life as normal again. So so, you, so if you're going to be doing a lot of these phone, these video meetings with your clients, you know, take some time in the first time you do it with them and, you know, 10, five, 10 minutes to just to make sure that all these things are ironed out. 
The other thing, uh, and related to this, is make sure you're close to their camera. Now, in normal circumstances, when you're FaceTiming with a friend, you don't have to think about that that much. You are a clinician providing a service that is 100% based on your relationship with your client. And if you have a camera, a webcam that is framed or it's wide angle or something, and, and your face is essentially very small, and you're, and the other thing you have to think about is what device is your client watching on? If they're, if they're video conferencing with you on, on their phone, then, and you're far away from the camera, then you're, you're basically, you know, like a, a three centimeters, your face is like three centimeters held at arm's length from their face. That's not good. You might as well just be on the phone at that point, honestly. So you want to you want to figure all that out. You know, if I, it, you want to recommend that clients use the biggest screen they can because that'll help them to feel your presence better. The other thing is is you have to make sure that you're you're close to the camera. So one of the things that I do with my camera, I actually got this kind of boom arm with my webcam because I'm using a desktop to get it as close to my face as possible. So I can, if I need to, I can back my seat up, but I can also get pretty close. If any of you have ever watched me on YouTube live, you know that um, I can get pretty close to my camera. And so that's what I, I try to do. Also, of course, you need your clients to be very close so you can tell what's happening. Another issue, this is all tech, tech stuff, is microphone. So a lot of lap a lot of people do these video conferencing on their laptops and they you know the laptop conveniently comes with a webcam and a microphone these microphones are shit <laughs> now maybe it's good enough i guess that's you just have to make do with what you can but you might want to th- especially you know as time goes on especially if you do this often you might want to invest in a $30, $50 microphone, that a USB microphone that hooks up to your laptop, and it just sounds so much better. Also, again, with clients. Now, you can't require your clients to get a fancy microphone, but you might want to think about how, you know, what, what, the, what kind of situation they're in in the room. Now, I'm kind of sensitive to that because I'm an audio person, and when someone is far away from the microphone, they're in an echoey room, there's a lot of background noise, it just kind of bugs me. And so, like right now, the audio quality you're hearing me talk to you right now is the same audio quality that people hear when I'm on video conferencing with them. I use the same treat, you know, I'm in a sound-treated room with all these acoustic panels and everything. I have a very expensive... Uh, high quality microphone, but you don't have to spend that much money on a microphone. Anyway, I have a I have a compressor, I have preamps, I have EQ. <laughs> Not to brag, but anyway. So obviously, you know, most people aren't going to go that far, but you need to, you know, just give it some thought and try try to figure it out. And that means, you know, you might have to become kind of good, kind of a tech nerd about this sort of thing. And a lot of you therapists out there are like, but I don't want to. Well then don't do video conferencing, you know, like uh, it's just, if you're going to use the form, then you got to figure it out. Now, maybe you don't do it. Maybe you know someone who can help you. Maybe there's some YouTube tutorials right now. There are so many people starting podcasts and YouTube channels that YouTube has thousands of tutorials on audio and video and lighting. In fact, my the light so when i do uh, my video conferencing i actually have professional photography lighting i i have this whole bank of of led lights that um is extremely bright like right now i just sometimes i just like them to be on because it's almost like i'm you know it's 9:30 at night but it's like sunny uh conditions in my office right now cuz these these lights are so bright and I only found out about these lights by watching a lot of YouTube videos about lighting. Um, anyway, so there's that. And, you know, if some of you are still like, well, I don't understand why I have to be. Well, if imagine your office, your therapy office was so dark and was so big that your clients were sitting like 30 feet away from you and there was a lot of uh, street noise from the cars going by outside you would say, this is not a good environment to have a therapy session. 
I can't see them well. They're too far away. I can't hear them. They can't hear me. There's too much, there's too much extraneous noise. Well, in the same way, you're not going to set up a video conference session with a client that has the same conditions, right? Again, you can always just do phone. If you can't figure out all this video conferencing stuff and it's just too much, you can always do phone like the way that um, Tiffany was talking about, as long as you have a, a business agreement and all that kind of stuff. Uh, phone meaning, you know, HIPAA compliant phone conversations. Uh, the other thing here is you want to think about where the camera is in relation to your eye line. So a lot of people, what they do is you look at the picture or the video of the person you're talking to, right? And you look into their eyes. Well, no one has eye contact because no one is looking directly into the camera. And we all understand how important eye contact is to convey understanding, to give a sense that someone is safe, to make people feel heard. And so there's, there's nothing you can do to completely get rid of that. I mean, I'm guessing in 20 years, they'll come out with a camera uh, and a, that is so small, it could be embedded into the middle of a, of a screen. Maybe they already have that. I don't know. But you have to think about um, how to optimize it as best you can. For example... I have a gigantic desktop screen. In fact, it's, I don't know how far, it's probably like two and a half feet wide and maybe two feet tall or something. So, and, and I have a separate webcam that's sort of on the side. So what I do is I minimize my video conferencing faces and I put it all the way to the right of my screen where my webcam is. Because if I have the the video conference blown up on my screen, I might be looking almost 45 degree or even 90 degrees off of the camera. And so when someone's talking to me, it would they'd be like talking to the side of my face. And so you want to figure out how to do that. And again, if you don't know how to do that, consult with someone who does know how to do that. Also... You might want to alternate at times to speaking directly into the camera lens. So say you're talking to your client and you really want to get something across. You might want, because they're going to look at your face on the video. And so if you look directly into the camera lens, it might give your client a better sense that you're talking to them and not to someone else. So it's just something else to think about. And of course, with your clients, if you can somehow engineer their eye line as well. It might help you to sort of pick up on things better. Another thing here is God bless people in Seattle. Almost everyone has multiple pets in their house. I love it. I support it. I have multiple pets. My half of my day now, especially that I'm stuck at home, involves my pets. I spend more time with my dog, more time with my cats. I love it. However, animals can be distracting. And now, some people can have their animals in their room with them, either on the therapist side or the client side, and not have it be a problem. Like occasionally the cat will get up and sort of trounce around on the table, but it, it's not so bad. But if you're the therapist, particularly, you want to make sure that you are not distracted by that. Um, there are some very loosey-goosey therapists out there that will... Um, just sort of say, well, I'm at home and, you know, my, my three dogs that bark, you know, it's just, it's just how things are. Now, what does that mean if you have very barky dogs or very loud cats like I do? Well, it's hard to know what to do. Under other circumstances, I would say, well, you need to be in a place away from your animals. But now, you know, with everyone locked inside, like, is that possible? You have to make do with what you can. But you know, maybe that means your animals while you're working, go to a doggy daycare or your kids or your spouse, take them on a walk, a really long walk while you're doing work. I don't know. Uh, maybe it's getting, you know, with like my dog, if I get him a, uh, one of those bones that you, those hide bones that you uh, chew, they're not, they're not bones, but it's like hide, very tough hide. 
and uh, or something similar, I can give him one of those, and that'll last him probably an hour. He's a very he has a very strong jaw, and so um, I might give him one of those, and then I'm good. I can put him in the living room. He's far away from me and my office, and I know he's not going to bother me. Um, with my cat, I, I will uh, you know give her a cozy little bed in my bedroom. And that's behind two other doors. And so if she starts to howl, which she sometimes do, does, um, I think she's losing her hearing or something because she'll just howl over nothing, um, then I, it won't be distracting to, to my work and with my clients. Okay. So the last thing I'll say here along this, these lines is really no matter what venue you work in is sometimes, you know, during this, during these trying times and people are like, well, everyone's stuck at home. Some of your clients, some of your supervisees, some of your students, if you're a professor like me, might be like, well, you know, we're all stuck at home, so we can talk all the time. And some of your clients and other people that you're responsible for might be like, well, um, I know you're home all the time, so let's, let's have... Uh, let's have random session time during the week. Now, there's nothing wrong with changing the treatment plan at this time. In fact, for some clients, you might think it's actually important to increase the amount of sessions you have per week because it's harder to really get, you know, it's harder to really know that you're really connecting over phone and video. Also, obviously, a lot of people might be falling into deeper depression, more suicidality, higher symptoms. And so you might want to change the treatment plan to involve more sessions for sure. But if it's if that if you're not going to if that's not really what you think is necessary and some of your clients are just like, well, you know, like I can imagine some clients saying, well, I know my therapist is stuck home all the time because my therapist even told me that she was never going to leave the house from blah blah blah. And so um when we talk next, I'm going to ask her if we can have five sessions a week now, because what's the, what's the difference? Well, you you have the right to have your own boundaries, you know, just because you're stuck home all the time and are capable maybe of providing more service doesn't mean that you have to provide more service to any of the people you're responsible for. So, you know, it's just another thing to think about in terms of your own boundaries. Having said that, if you want to change the treatment plan um, and or, you know, revenue is better for you when you have more sessions, you know, it's, it, you're free to make that, that call as long as it's medically necessary. Okay. So right after we hung up with me and Tiffany and Francis, uh, Tiffany got this email and she forwarded it to me and I'm just going to read it. And it's from HCA Communications, the healthcare authority. It says, In response to COVID-19 pandemic, the healthcare authority has acquired a number of Zoom of licenses for Zoom, a video conferencing technology that helps healthcare providers continue seeing patients without a physical encounter. I like that, without a physical encounter. We want to distribute this limited number of licenses free of charge to providers who have a need for this platform to support continuity, to support continuity, continuity. Continuity. What's wrong with my brain? Continuity of care. I was like, I've said this word before. Why can't continuity? (laughs) Um, And don't already have access to telehealth technology. So basically, Zoom is saying the healthcare authority has acquired some free licenses from the paid version of Zoom that is HIPAA compliant, essentially. Uh, And so it says, HCA will prioritize Zoom. So they only have a certain amount of licenses. So HCA will prioritize Zoom licenses for those providers who need them most, including those who serve a meaningful number of Medicaid clients. So I'm guessing in my area, that's all the agencies. Do not already have another HIPAA or 42 CFR Part 2 compliant video capability are in smaller practices with less infrastructure. So that certainly applies to a lot of my supervisees. Clinicians who serve children, adolescents, pregnant or parenting women or tribal members. That's an interesting distinction. Opioid treatment programs. That's a good choice, I'm guessing, because they don't want people dying. 
prescribe or support prescribers of medications to people diagnosed with significant mental illness or substance abuse disorder or serve as community mental health centers. So uh, if, if you have any of those qualifiers, then you're more likely, apparently, according to this email, to get one of the free Zoom licenses that um, is the paid version. So that's pretty cool. Okay. So I also wanted to read some of the emails I got and some of the um, questions on Facebook. Cindy sent me an email, I think, and she said, I just wanted to pass along that PESI, P-S-I, P-E-S-I, is offering their 11 hours telehealth training for free. It's originally $439. I just signed up for it. The promo code at checkout is TELEFREE. So that's pretty cool. 11 hours of telehealth training. 11 hours. That is a long time. Uh, what could they possibly talk about for 11 hours? <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, I guess I talked for a long, a lot already. But anyway, Fran on Facebook says, what are the ethics around having therapists and support staff still in offices across the country in spite of warnings to stay home? So I don't know, Fran, you know, uh, this is a question that a lot of people are asking themselves. Some, you know, some businesses are sending people home and some businesses aren't. And they're like, no, you know, you're going to lose your job if you go home. And, and, some, and some agencies for mental health, they're saying, uh, we don't authorize you to do video or phone. You, if you're, you have to see your clients and you have to see them in your office. So, you know, I don't know the answer to this. Because on one level, we need to be providing services and employers certainly have a right to hold their employees accountable for their contracts or something. Uh, it, it seems rather callous to force everyone to do it. And also it seems rather stupid to not um, and short-sighted to not uh, look for phone and video conferencing telehealth options. Maybe some of these agencies have been told that there are no options. And, you know, some of these agencies, some of these, um, you know, mental health companies are on, they're frequently on the brink of folding anyway. Uh, these, these sorts of businesses rarely show a very good surplus in their revenue. And, they're often barely holding on. So it's possible that a lot of these businesses, a lot of these agencies are just like, look, if we send people home and we don't get reimbursed for this stuff or we only bill for half of the hours that we do normally and we still have to pay all of our employees, we'll be done within three weeks. Our business will go under and everyone will lose their job and all of those clients will go without any kind of service. Um, I have no doubt that upper administration of these agencies are at least having those thoughts and those those feelings. So I don't know. Um, but you're asking, you know, what are the ethics around having therapists and sports staff uh, still in offices? That doesn't really apply to our clinical ethics. I mean, you could make a case maybe, but it doesn't appear to be to, to really apply. There's a moral or sort of, uh, you know, citizen ethics question as to whether or not one would do that, but it, it's not really a clinical ethical uh, ethical thing. Now, if you have a complaint, you can certainly talk to um, labor uh, advocates in your state. I'm guessing they're getting a lot of calls these days. But um, also, I don't know. For me, for example, at my university when COVID was becoming like this small, like not very talked about issue. This was probably so funny. This was only like, what, three weeks ago, I'm guessing. And my university had not closed. You know, schools were still open. All businesses were still open. I, I was flying to Lake Tahoe and back. The airport was full of people. You know, everything was as normal. I mean, people were, people were washing their hands a lot more. But it was like, eh, you know, everyone just wash your hands. No big deal. Life had not changed. This was, I think it was just three weeks ago, three and a half weeks ago, maybe even shorter than that. Anyway, things have changed very quickly. And um, at that time... I was like, hell no, I'm not going to the university if I don't have to. <laughs> um, I, I'm getting pretty used to this Zoom conferencing thing. I don't prefer it. I would much rather be in person. But why am I going to 
expose myself? Why am I gonna Why am I gonna expose all my students to each other? Um, I'm just gonna do it over video conference. I mean, if I can, why not? And at the time, there was a fair amount of emails going out from administration and other professors saying, like, you know, should we start thinking about doing online? I just did online. And I can tell you that if my university had said, you can't do online, I would have just done it anyway. <laughs> That's just the sort of person I am. I'm, I, I just, it, if I don't think that my bosses are, you know, thinking straight, then I just I just don't do what they say, and I I do what I th- I know to be right. Now that's narcissistic, that's pompous, so be it. But um, if you are in a position where you can do something like that, then I I would offer that as an attitude to adopt. <laughs> now it could get you fired, which obviously is terrible. But you know, a lot of these, a lot of time, like say for example, you're at an agency. And they have the capability to allow for telehealth, but they just don't want to. Well, if 75% of the clinicians just say, fuck you, we're going home and we're going to do telehealth, well, the business is probably going to be like, um, okay, new policy, telehealth is okay. So you don't always have to do what your boss tells you to do, especially when you have solidarity with your with your coworkers. And... Um, Now, again, you know, I'm not recommending utter chaos, but I am recommending, you know, if your bosses are screwing you over, do everything you need to do. You know, if you if you think you and especially your clients, you know, are being put in danger, it's like, come on, people figure it out. Uh, And part of this has to do with what Tiffany was talking about in terms of our government moving fast enough to provide options so that these agencies don't go out of business and and we are providing ethical uh, treatment. Anyway, Adil, my former student and supervisee Adil says, what is the most ethical way for residential treatment programs to function? Staff are coming and going each day while participants and clients are staying put. Yeah, similar kind of question. I, I don't know. Um you know, so what's the most ethical way for a residential treatment program to function? So this is more complicated, right? Because the clients actually live in the residential treatment program. So you can't do telehealth, right? I mean, I suppose you could actually, if you think about it, every uh, participant in the residence, often these residences have anywhere from five to 15 people. It's usually kids. You they could all just stay in their room as, as often as possible. They could just go to the bathroom and, you know, they could come out, get their food, go back into their room. And then you as staff people could uh, video conference with them while they're in their bedroom. And, and that might reduce the risk of contamination there. I don't know. This is just me brainstorming. (laughs) Uh, I don't know what to do, honestly. And obviously doing everything to reduce the risk of, t- of contamination is smart. And, you know, I'm not going to say ethic. I mean, in terms of citizen ethics, yes, but it's not it, clinical ethics. Don't it's hard to know how they apply to that question. Of course, you could apply some of our clinical ethics to that, but our clinical ethics aren't really designed to address that question. Let's just put it that way. Tara says, wondering about the legal ethical aspect of a large company only sending employees home who are 65 years and older. Uh, similar, similar answer to that one. Haley says, what kinds of PHI or protected health information can be shared during a pandemic global health crisis? I don't really understand this question. What kinds of PHI can be shared during the crisis? Uh, the same that could be shared at any other time. Uh, so it doesn't change anything. Uh, as, as that's basically what Tiffany and and uh, Francis were saying. Larkin. Now, having said that, uh, there might be special circumstances where it uh, it certain laws and ethics become into play. Like, for example, one of the situations that we sometimes run into as clinicians is I don't have a signed release of information to like, so let's say, um, well, let me give a very specific situation. So let's say that I have a suicidal client whom is 
moderate or high risk of suicide. And we're talking over, um, you know, video conference and they're telling me that they're really depressed. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to have to talk. I'm going to have to do a suicide assessment at some point in this session. But I have 50 minutes, so I don't have to do it right now because they're crying, they're talking about things, and I don't want to interrupt that process. I want to attend to that, and then I'll get to it later. And then all of a sudden, internet blows up. I have I lose connection with, with that client. And in my head, I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> like, I don't know if this person is at risk. Um, I didn't get a chance. If they were in my session, if they were in my office, obviously – I'm going to have the time to do that with them. But even let's say they're in your office and your assessment, you're really concerned about a client and you come to the end of a session and you have a client, another client waiting in the lobby and you're not done assessing the client that you have in your office. Well, it's rare, but you you might find a situation where you actually pause the session you go out to the client in the lobby and you say, I'm really sorry. I'm having a client emergency. I need to reschedule with you. I'm really sorry. And so you reschedule with that client. You go back into the office and you finish your suicide assessment and prevention process. So you could see a situation like that, right? Well, when you're over a video conference and the internet blows up, uh, meaning that, you know, for a variety of reasons, and you're suddenly cut off from your client and you have not fully... Uh, performed your duty to protect with that person. Well, now you're in a bind. Um, And this is another reason why we're talking about earlier, where you need to know where they are exactly. You need to know the address and you need to make sure, you know, it might look like they're at their house and you might have their home address, maybe at their aunt, maybe they're at their aunt's house or something. So you need to make sure you always know exactly where they're at, at their, especially people who are at risk of, of harm. And, you, um, yeah, so so in that situation, let's say you're like, crap, I'm not even sure if I know where they're at right now for whatever reason. And then you try to connect with them immediately, right? You try to uh, zoom back in with them. It doesn't work. You try calling them. It doesn't work. You try texting them. It doesn't work. You try emailing them. It doesn't work. 10 minutes, 20 minutes pass. You don't know what to do. Well, let's say you don't have an ROI to talk with anyone in their family. Well, in that situation, it it would probably be not only allowed but required that you break confidentiality by reaching out to a family member. You know, let's just say in this scenario, you have this client's parents' phone number. Um, you've never called them, but it's like an emergency contact that um, it was on their intake form. By the way, you should always have an emergency contact on the intake form for reasons like this. And you're like, crap. I got to call that. I got to call that emergency contact. I don't have an ROI. I don't know what to do. And, you know, the client might get upset, but this is all in the informed consent, right? It's all, you always have to make sure that your clients understand all these possibilities of confidentiality being broken. And as Francis was talking about, um, when we switch to a video conference mode, you might have to re uh, uh, familiarize your clients with these, uh, you know, types of confidentiality. Uh, breaches. You might even give them that exact scenario. Like if the internet gets cut off and I can't reconnect with you and there's some indication that you might be at risk of harm, I'm going to, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to call your emergency contact. If that person can't establish contact with you, I'm going to call the police and I'm going to tell you where you live. You're not threatening them, but you're just giving them, you know, what your responsibility is. Now, what this will do is it'll, you know, motivate the client to make sure their internet doesn't crap out. And also, it'll motivate them to contact you right away if their internet does crap out, that kind of stuff. Anyway. Okay. And Larkin says, I work in a residential treatment facility for kids and am fighting to be able to have the therapist work from home. I'm trying to push us to do our sessions over the phone, which we already do for our family sessions. I'm pushing this to limit potentially infecting our clients and staff from being infected. My supervisor is telling me we cannot do this. What can I do? What What can I do in my rights to to promote the health of my clients and staff? Wow, a lot of like most of you on Facebook are having this question, and I'm really sorry you guys are going through this. This is rough. Uh, you know, like I said, I you know it's hard to know what to do. 
and the ethics and the legality of it is is not clear. Um, yeah, I'm really sorry you guys are going through that. I am not going through that because, like I've been talking about, I can teach at over video conference. I can have meetings with my colleagues at the university over video conference or phone. I can see my clients and supervisees over video conference or phone. I can podcast over video conference and phone. <laughs> I can um, talk to my parents over video conference. Um, actually, just along these lines, maybe to end on a happy note, uh, is my niece is graduating from pharmacy, uh, her, her graduate degree in, in to become a pharmacist. And I was going to fly out to Minnesota to attend her graduation, me and my parents. And it turns out we're not going to do that anymore. And so I was suggesting, and it was like a big bummer, you know, because we're going to have a big party and it was this big celebration. And my niece, she's like this like super smart person who is very dedicated to her schooling. And, and if I think about it, she's the second person in our entire family going back generations with a graduate degree, if I'm not mistaken. She's second after me. I, you know, we we value education in our family, but we're not like super high class in that way, I guess. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, we we're going to, it's this huge bummer. And, and we were all really disappointed that we weren't going to be able to celebrate her big achievement here. But I threw out there, I was like, hey, how about we do a graduation ceremony over Zoom? <laughs> because we can all video conference over Zoom. And I know Zoom really well. And I have a pro account and I can set that all up. And then we'll have my niece walk up and down the hallway with her gown on and we can sing the song. And, we <laughs> and um, you know, along these lines also, I, there's a uh, theater here in Seattle called Central Cinema. And there's a, there's a small little boutique cinema that shows, uh, you know, cult classics and they serve food and alcohol and they even have like a cartoon night for kids, you know, so parents will bring their their seven-year-olds to the theater and um, maybe the parents even have a glass of wine because it's sort of a neighborhood theater and they'll show cartoons for the kids. And they also have trivia night occasionally, which I've had a lot of fun at. And movie cat trivia, it's sort of a famous movie, it's sort of a famous trivia thing. And it's also kind of a pain in the ass because it's across town for me. And um, so it's it's always a little harder for me to get to. But because of the virus, they're going to do it over Zoom now. And actually, I guess anyone could do it, right? <laughs> so if you're interested, uh, I guess I'm promoting Central Cinema Movie Cat. It's Wednesday. I think I'm, I'm you know, that, that's just this week. You have to go to the, but it'll, it'll be March 25th. So now I guess I'm just promoting Central Cinema stuff. Um, I think me and my wife are going to be doing it. <laughs> and maybe I'll rope Umberto into it as well. I love movies. I know uh, I, I'm, I'm not like amazing with movie trivia, but, you know, I can hold my own. So anyway, so there's those fun things are happening. Another thing that happened <laughs> was a Australian deserving listener emailed. I don't know if you remember in the previous episode, which I was talking about this. Um, I, I called it coronavirus emotional coping or something. And she was saying that she didn't know if she could go on her honeymoon because their their wedding was coming up in a few weeks or something. And what ended up happening, they emailed me again and they said that they actually had to uh, postpone their wedding. And they had to postpone everything, which of course makes sense, right? It's just like all the people who had weddings during this period of time and, you know, starting coming up on May and June, like there's a, there's a shit ton of weddings that are planned. All those people have to just like, like pack it in. Like, and what do you do, man? Like that is rough. I feel bad. And of course, every night when my head hits the pillow, I, I think about all the people who are sick and just how scary that must be. And also the people who have died and how horrible that must be. You know, I think another part of the, terribleness that I haven't really realized until recently is with the flu, with heart disease, we get used to it. It's like the wave of danger is like we live in it. Whereas with COVID, the wave of danger, we can see it on the horizon 
coming across the Pacific Ocean. And, you know, the very beginning of a tidal wave, there's usually like a little bit of water. And you're like, oh, boy, here comes the water or the hurricane that's coming across the Atlantic and the winds are picking up. And, oh, boy, here it's coming. Okay, all the news reports, it says like the eye of the storm is coming right over my house. And one day it's just it's going to land and it's going to, you know, there's something just horrifying about something that's coming for us. And I think that's a big part of it, at least it is for me, is just this notion of like, here comes the wave. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Brace yourself. And it's a very scary time. It's a very awful time. It's a lot of, uh, a lot of death. A lot of death is going to happen. A lot of death has happened. A lot of fear is going to happen. A lot of discomfort is going to happen. Now, there are some shining uh, light uh, that's happening. Some people are, like me and my, I guess me and my wife, but my wife primarily owns a, um, a spa in New York as part owner. If anyone's in Manhattan, in Nolita, it's called Daphne. And it is, from what I understand, I don't know that much about it. It's supposed to be like a primo spa for skincare and that kind of thing. And they have like all the super high-end, expensive face creams and that kind of stuff. They have like exclusive. Anyway, not to promote their business, but their their customer their customers have completely gone away right because they're in Manhattan and no one's leaving their house and so and again they're a small business how are they going to pay rent month month to month well the landlord who owns their space that they're leasing from has said they don't have to pay rent for a while they don't they don't have to pay their lease for a while which is such a wonderful thing you know you don't you didn't have to do that from what I understand, some municipalities are making it so you don't have to pay your electric bill if you can't pay it. Now, if you can pay it, pay it, right? Um, if, like me, for example, I can do all my jobs from home, so I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to lose my job. Uh, but um, for those that uh, are going to lose their job, then they deserve that kind of help. If you are in a position where you can help other people get through this time, um, I think it's I think it's worth considering. For example, I and the team here, Umberto, Stacy, we have scholarships to give out, and I can't wait to announce those. We have four thousand dollars that we're going to give to needy students, whom I'm guessing are going to need that money pretty badly right now. <laughs> so. Um, that's one example. Um, and, you know, obviously giving you charities and volunteering, helping other people out. You know, it's hard because it's like, well, what do you do? Normally you might volunteer, but we're not, we're supposed to stay home, right? Um, so what are we supposed to do here? It, it's just, it's a very confusing time. It's, I don't know what to do. Uh, what else I will say is this. I said this in the emotional coping episode. This is just me. Okay. I'm not, I'm not saying everyone should be this way. This is just me. I recognize and frequently have that all of our time on this planet is limited and that sucks and that's scary and it's awful. I don't want anyone to go, particularly my animals, my, my dog, my cats. I don't want them to go. They're going to go. I'm going to go. You're going to go. We're all going to go at some point. Now, I'm not saying that we should just give up and whatever and expose ourselves to the virus and, you know, have, be anarchists or something. I'm just saying that Okay, so so now that I recognize that we're all going to go, now what? What do I going to? What am I going to do? Well, am I living my purpose? Am I wasting my time on this planet? You know, that's that's one question that I ask myself all the time, regardless of the coronavirus. Also, am I connecting with those around me? Am I kind to them? Have I left anything unsaid to those around me? What are we going to do here? What do I want to contribute to the world? Am I doing those things? For me, this is just me, this helps me to get through this crisis because that's ultimately what I'm afraid of, really. My parents dying, my aunts and uncles dying, um, other important people, other you know, colleagues of mine who are elderly dying, me dying, 
um, my my family being hurt and dying. All these things are ultimately what I'm is you know that wave as it as it comes that this is what I'm worried about, right? Well, half of it kind of goes away just by talking about this out loud with you all, and maybe another quarter of it goes away by saying, "Well, there's no use fighting that. There's no use fighting death, right?" You know, it's it's such it's just such a bummer that we have to go. Now, I know a lot of you will email into me and you'll be like, you know what? I, I don't worry about death at all. I'm I'm totally fine with it. And I dig your perspective and I have, you know, a good dose of that myself as well. So, you know, I get that. Anyway, I'm rambling. I really hope that you have someone to hug right now. Uh, my dog is, you know, my wife, she's sleeping right now, so I'm not going to bother her, but... My dog and my cat are sleeping. I can see them. And after I stop recording, I'm going to go over there and get some good cuddles in. Because right now, I not only need that, but, you know, it's sort of the purpose of my life. (laughs) I consider it to be uh, the reason, part of the reason why I'm on this planet is to do that kind of stuff. All right. Please, please take care of yourself. Let me know how you're doing. Share with each other. Comment below. We're all. St- if 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 you're stuck at home, use the internet to connect with us, with each other. Um, you know, let's let's make sure we stay connected to everybody. And please take care of yourself because you deserve it. You really do. 